What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Unquestionable with Calvin Smith. I'm your host, Calvin. I'm really happy to have you guys here today, and I have an interesting topic to go over, as always. It's going to be a little bit of a quicker episode, I assume, um, but I think all in all, you guys will, will learn something new today. And I guess before I really get into the topic of the unfinished obelisk in Aswan, welcome to episode 14, you guys. I, I really wouldn't be here without your guys's input, listens, and offering to be guests on the show. I've had some really interesting guests. I mean, I've had Robin the Flat Earther, Brian Forrester from uh, Hidden Inca Tours, Larry Paul for A- from AIP. I mean, I've had some really awesome guests. I've had my own wife. How awesome is that? So I appreciate you guys for listening. And if you aren't already, you can follow me on all social media platforms. You can find me on Instagram at Unquestionable Podcast, Facebook, uh, I'm now on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at UWCS Podcast, uh, Unquestionable with Calvin Smith Podcast. So you can find me on Twitter now. I don't know how much I'm going to be posting on there because honestly, I don't think anybody really uses Twitter anymore. But I figured if I'm going to do this whole podcast thing, I probably should try to get on as many social media platforms as possible. So now I'm on Twitter. You can find me on Discord. Um, I'm on YouTube, so if you go on YouTube and search up Unquestionable Podcast, you'll see my beautiful bald head there, more than likely, or my, probably more than likely, my uh, emblem for the, the the pyramid type of crap going on. But yeah, you can find me literally anywhere. I don't think there's uh, really anywhere that I'm missing at this point. So yeah, go check me out. Uh, you'll be able to find the show anywhere. And that counts also for streaming services as well. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, Pocket Casts, Overcast, um, Google Podcasts. You can find me everywhere, guys. Just type my awesome title into the Google search bar and you'll see a ton of my stuff. But that's all I wanted to cover. Now let's get into the topic for today, which is going to be on the unfinished obelisk in Aswan, Egypt. So, in the northern region of Aswan, Egypt, uh, well, what is now current Aswan, Egypt, um, there is a granite quarry. And these granite, well, there's actually multiple granite quarries within Egypt in general, but um, the big one that they primarily use for these amazing monuments and uh, structures and building blocks for um, these amazing structures, they get from this northern quarry in Aswan. And the interesting part of this northern quarry, once it, when it was discovered, I don't have the exact date of the discovery, but there's this giant, and I mean, guys, absolutely giant, unfinished obelisk in the Aswan Granite Quarry. And I'm going to put as many pictures as possible to this as, uh, or on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter now. Um, so I encourage you guys to please go check out those pictures. I'm going to try to post them as soon as this episode gets uploaded so that you guys will be able to jump straight over there. Maybe even, you know, listen to the podcast and follow along with some of the pictures on Instagram as well. So this giant unfinished obelisk, and I'll get into what exactly an obelisk is in case you guys weren't sure what an obelisk is. So an obelisk is, um, it's essentially a four-sided tapered monument with a pyramid at the top. So like the Washington Monument, for example, uh, that's an obelisk. So Egyptian obelisks were almost always, I actually, actually, I think actually always, they were carved from a single piece of stone 
sometimes from bedrock. Sometimes they would carve it out of uh, just different stones and uh, different rocks. But many pharaohs would erect these obelisks in honor of like certain events or they would symbolize stability or permanence or to honor a god, for example. And this particular obelisk that I want to talk about today is primarily made of rose granite and with a high concentration of quartz, and it's made out of bedrock. So this giant obelisk, it would have measured 137 feet or 42 meters, and it's estimated to have weighed around 1,200 tons if it was ever completed. That's nearly two and a half times the size of the current largest erected obelisk in Egypt, which is about 400 tons. So, guys, this thing would have been massive. I should have gotten the, the specs on the Washington Monument for comparison, but you can look at it as, I believe this obelisk in Egypt that is currently the largest erected obelisk is bigger than the Washington Monument, I do believe. So, that's something... It just, it would have been something that, it would have been comparable to like the Sphinx or the pyramids or to, um, you know, Chichen Itza or something. I mean, this thing would have been massive, guys, massive. I believe I saw a comparison that said this thing would have weighed the, yeah, it's, I have this comparison here. It would have equivalated to about 200 adult elephants. That's how much this thing would have weighed. That is ridiculous guys how heavy that thing was how did they expect to move that but we'll get into a little bit of what some people believe um how this construction took place so <clears throat> yeah i mentioned that the obelisk was made primarily out of quartz it had a high concentration of quartz and so the ancient egyptians would basically cut these solid pieces of stone and they would throw them onto a boat and they would sail down the Nile River to their destination with the monument and it would be erected upon arrival. You know, just as you would pretty much suspect, I guess. Um, Occam's razor, I guess, the most easy explanation. But according to the Mohs scale of hardness, which is like a rock scale that geologists and other um, Egyptologists and researchers use, you know, lovers of rocks, <laughs> I guess you could say, use this Mohs hardness of uh, scale of hardness, which ranks different rocks on their hardness level compared to others. Pretty self-explanatory. So, for example, granite lands at about a 7 on the Mohs hardness scale. And that's what's kind of going to be the, the basis, is this granite, uh, the basis of this breakdown today is the granite is about a hardness of 7. I'm going to talk a little bit about these dolerite balls that were found all over Aswan, Egypt. So dolerite. Dolerite compared to granite, um, it actually has a, it's primarily made of quartz and obviously it has tons of other materials in it, um, but it's an igneous rock. So essentially, um, here I have a definition of dolerite. It's a dark, medium grained igneous rock, typically with a phytic texture containing Oh, Jesus, I'm going to try to say this. Plagioclase, pyroxene, and olivine. So it's an igneous rock composed of other types of rock. And obviously there's uh, there's quartz in there too. But yeah, so essentially uh, ancient Egyptians used these small dolerite balls. And they it's, it's theorized that they were using these 
to cut this unfinished obelisk that was that's in Aswan, Egypt. And guys, when I tell you that right off the bat, this sounds absurd to me. If you look at the pictures of the obelisk in Egypt and then you compare it to these dolerite balls and there is tons and tons and tons of documentaries, videos. Um, Brian Forrester has multiple videos. I believe Bright Insight has a couple videos. Um, Uncharted X, I believe, has a video. Um, not to mention, I, I watched a couple documentaries that talked about the unfinished obelisk and how they would take these dolerite balls. And really, they, they, the explanation that Egyptologists give for the construction of this giant 140 feet long obelisk that is 1,200 tons, so they were taking these little dolerite balls and they were pounding them against this bedrock that it, and it essentially chipped it away, made it into what is currently a half of an obelisk about. The only problem with that, well, I guess not the only problem, but one, one problem with it is that dolerite, because it's primarily made of quartz, quartz lands at about a seven on the hardness scale as well. So that would mean, think about it guys. Okay. So if you have wood, okay. Do you ever cut wood with other wood? I mean, you can do it, but it's way more difficult than just finding a material that is harder than wood, such as a rock or stone, or um, bone, or something like that to cut into wood, for example. So why would they use these dolerite balls that are the same hardness as granite? Which, I mean, you can damn near tell when they're hitting these two rocks together, there's not much happening, guys. I'm going to try to put some videos up on Instagram of people <laughs> doing this, because that's the interesting thing, is next to the unfinished obelisk in Aswan, they actually have a piece of granite, a, a big chunk of granite that's up near the obelisk. And they have a little dolerite ball uh, sitting next to it. And you actually, as a tourist, can walk up and freely attempt to do this. You can grab the dolerite ball and you can pound it up against this granite surface and uh, experience how Egyptologists claim these ancient Egyptians shaped this giant monument, um, or at least started to shape it. And it's just... It, it, really, when you look at it, it's laughable, guys. I'm, I'm sorry, but, you know, I'm all for uh, the easiest explanation is usually the, the, the best one, you know, Occam's razor and all that. But it's it, it just can't happen. I'm sorry. It just can't happen. And when you look, um, I mean, so so this. OK, let me slow down here. So the reason why these Egyptians believe that the dolerite balls were used is because. I mean, there were almost 1,400 dolerite pounding balls that have been found in Aswan. I mean, that's 1,400 pounding balls. And apparently these circular or oval-shaped balls sometimes, it's theorized that they actually kind of used to be like a rectangular type of shape, but through use of being pounded up against surfaces to quarry these giant pieces of granite for not only the unfinished obelisk, but for multiple other monuments that have been taken from that quarry. Um, it's theorized that they succumbed to the, <laughs> the, the injuries and they, you know, became circular or oval shape. And so from which they would just discard 
the circular ball because it's not really doing much. So they would just toss it, grab a sharper um, edged rock and start chipping away, which makes a little sense. You know, if you get a, uh, a rock with some more sharp corners and you hit it up against something, you're more than likely to chip away at something. But that corner is going to chip away probably quicker than you would even chip away at the rock that you're hitting it against. And so I have this little excerpt from a, um, an, a journal article here. And according to this abstract from this journal article called Dolorite Pounders, Petrology, Sources and Use by Adele Killaney, James A. Harrell, and V. Max Brown, which I'll have the link to that in the description of the podcast as well, in case you wanted to read this abstract as well. You have to actually pay for the whole thing. And I didn't want to pay that much. It was like $60 or something. <laughs> I didn't want to pay for the whole thing. But luckily, the answers that I needed were in this little abstract here. And it says, I'm going to quote it here. So quote, and second, these tools could not have been held by workmen when striking other, another rock. Otherwise, the impacts would have caused severe injuries to their hands and wrists. To avoid this, the workmen must have released the pounder just before impact on a downward throw and then caught it on the rebound. Unquote. I'm sorry, but are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I mean, so they're saying that how they actually shape these rocks, because guys, these are some pretty good sized dolerite balls. And um, like Jimmy from Bright Insight, I remember watching a video of him doing it and um, Brian Forrester, they actually did it themselves. And they said after just three or four hits of this rock, holding onto this rock onto this granite, their hands hurt, their wrists hurt. So I understand that these ancient Egyptians, um, obviously they were probably tougher. Uh, than, than us, uh, you know, city slickers. Uh, I'm sure their hands probably had calluses the size of fucking Texas, but it it still doesn't excuse the fact that this rock still wouldn't be doing anything. The explanation that these people give um, in this article is that they literally were th essentially throwing this rock at the bedrock and it was chipping away enough of the obelisk to where it would be worth continuing to do it. And I mean, yeah, you can have hundreds of men uh, working on this, but you guys, it's going, to, this this granite block that you can actually, tourists can come up and pound the dolerite up against, it's been sitting there for years. And guys, it hasn't moved. Like no, it, nothing has been chipped away. It's been sitting there for years with days upon days upon days upon hours of hundreds of thousands of millions of tourists pounding this dolerite ball and it's still the same rock. It hasn't shaped into anything. It's still a fucking rock. So I don't understand how that could have happened. And when you look at the crevice that is inside the bedrock, because guys, this obelisk is still quite literally inside the bedrock. I mean, you can if you're on level ground and you're walking, there's a little bridge to where you, you walk over this. Um, it's about a four and a half. It's about four, four and a half feet uh, wide crevice that you would walk over a little tiny rock bridge. And then you're on top of the obelisk that's laying down sideways. So this thing is still in the bedrock. So when you're carving into it, they have the sides of it carved out. And they actually look like it started to kind of go under it. So it's kind of standing on like a, like a table. It's kind of how it has like that leg under it. And um, 
it looks like, I mean, if, if it's really not super far away from being completed, but, um, I mean, obviously the, the reason why they stopped working on it is because it developed this giant crack on the face of it. And so that's quite literally the obvious reason why they stopped looking more into it. And so I, I I'm sorry, I kind of lost my place here, but yeah, there's no way in hell that these people could dive into this crevice that is literally three and a half, four, like tops, four and a half feet wide. You can't stand, uh, you, you can't like extend your arms in front of you. Um, if you're facing towards the actual, um, obelisk itself, you can't extend your arms against you. You can, you can about get, get as much as your elbows forward in front of you. And so the fact that they are explaining that they were essentially throwing these rocks, they, they couldn't get the momentum under there to chip away at anything. Not to mention these just incredible scoop marks that are under it, but I'll get a little bit into the scoop marks in a minute. But as I mentioned before, these uh, this obelisk is inside the bedrock. So how did they expect to get these uh, this giant obelisk out? Well, their explanation was um, that essentially these the, along the obelisk there are. I don't know if it's actually on the obelisk itself, but on many uh, blocks and structures throughout Aswan, they have these little notches that are carved out and uh, they're pretty crude notches. And the theory as to how they would separate from the bedrock, uh, the these structures from the bedrock, is they would shove wood chips in these little crevices and they'd fill it with hot water. And these wood chips would expand, which would then cause the rock to break away from the bedrock. But I mean, yeah, that can work and it's been proven to work, but that's a ton of work. I'm not saying that they didn't do that to, to many of the blocks in Egypt. I think that's a very plausible explanation and it's been proven to have worked. You can watch videos of that working. Um, but another explanation is that they would cut these notches and then they would hammer um, metal stakes into it, which essentially would do the same thing. So both pretty um, plausible explanations. I don't have any uh, quarrels with that. I think that's very, very plausible. And the only problem is that how did they expect to get the actual obelisk out of this pit that it's in, let alone erect it? I mean, I'm once again, guys, I'm going to share tons of pictures of it, but it's deep in the bedrock. I mean, this thing is, is fucking huge. So yeah, they could, they could do this hot water or whatever to, to break it away but how did they expect to pull it out of the bedrock, get it onto a boat? Because the the theory is that they were expected to bring this obelisk to Karnak, um, which was, um, and I'll kind of get into a little bit of the theories behind that in just a second. But yeah, it just, it doesn't really make any sense to me, but Let's kind of get into that Karnak explanation. So the reason this creation of the obelisk, the reason for it being created, it's believed to have been ordered by Pharaoh Hatshepsut, um, who is historically confirmed to actually be the second female Pharaoh. And she is supposedly very powerful. Um, but even that's kind of taken with a grain of salt because it's really not exactly known for sure who started the construction 
or who finished, uh, quote unquote, finished the construction of the obelisk. Because I read some things that said Hatshepsut uh, started making it to um, take down the the Lateran obelisk in Italy. Uh, well, it, it wasn't in Italy at the time, but um, that's the unfinished obelisk was essentially supposed to substitute for the Lateran obelisk. But a lot of things that I read is that um, King Tut, um, I, I can't remember if it was, yeah, I think it was King Tut um, erected the, the, the obelisk, the Lateran obelisk. But tell me if I'm wrong on that, because honestly, I found very conflicting information as to who exactly was making this obelisk. But all in all, kind of sounds like we just don't know. But as I was kind of mentioning also with this, um, these crevices on the inside and the stature of how we wouldn't be able to extend our arms in front of us. Now, ancient Egyptians are basically proven to have been a little smaller in stature compared to the modern humans, uh, about a foot's difference, actually. So, like, I'm about 5'10", 5'9", 5'10". So, the modern Egyptian, their average size would be about 4'9", or 4'10". You know, like, that's a... I mean, not super small, but, I mean, compared to, like, a regular... Like, I'd like to think I'm a normal-sized guy. But, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. So, they were a little smaller... And there's no way even them as smaller in stature could fit in this little crevice, guys. And I'm telling you, look at the pictures, guys. I, I wish that I could get this YouTube thing working to where I could show you guys some pictures while I'm talking. Still working on that. So um, just look at the pictures, guys. It, it's totally unreasonable how this would be possible. And as I mentioned before, there looks to be like these scoop marks all over the obelisk. And Egyptologists would tell you that um, stone hammers and copper chisels is how they were doing this. But the thing is, is directly next to, literally just a couple feet away from the um, unfinished obelisk, there's actually very visible chisel marks where it looks like they had a chisel and they were hitting it with a hammer, you know, ting, 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 ting. And these like uh, sometimes diagonal lines, it looks like... Uh, kind of like wood grain. Yeah, it looks like wood grain, really, um, on these rocks. And that's very clear indication that they were using chisels and hammers on that part. But then you move a couple feet over and in a couple other places around Aswan and multiple other quarries, you see these mysterious, they look like scoop marks. Like if you scoop out some ice cream out of a container, it looks like they were just scooping away at the rock. It's really interesting. No indications of these chisel marks. And uh, like I said, you know, they, they like to tell you, Egyptologists will tell you that it was chisels and dolerite balls. But you guys, these dolerite balls, they just don't do anything. And I swear to God, when I go to Egypt one day, I need to go to Aswan so I can try this myself. Or maybe I can just order some dolerite. I don't know. If, is that possible? Can you order dolerite? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Tell me, can you order dolerite? Because I want to test it myself on some granite. But yeah, so it looks more like scoop marks along these. And there's there's literally little to no evidence on the actual obelisk itself of these chisel marks. Uh, and these scoop marks actually measure about a foot or two in length. I mean, they're, they're, um, they're, they're pretty good size. So what were they using and how come... It's like scoop 
and then it's a little higher up for about an inch um, as, as far as level, it's a little bit higher. And then there's another scoop and then it's another, like, it literally looks like they went scoop, move an inch, scoop, move an inch, scoop, you know? And so it's like got these little ripples in it because of they're kind of moving. Why would they do that? What is the purpose behind that? I'm, I'm just having a hard time understanding how they did this. And if Egyptologists are saying that these copper tools and uh, these copper chisels and uh, granite hammers and, and dolerite stone or dolerite pounding balls are how they shaped this thing. Why haven't they done it? You know, and why, what's the point? You know, why make it that large? If they knew, because there's a couple Egyptologists that say, oh, you know, they started the construction, but then they realized it was to too big. So they, they quit on it. For one, no, <laughs> no. For one, it's pretty common consensus that um, they stopped because it developed that giant crack that's on the face of it, which is so unfortunate. I wish um, that thing would have gotten erected because that would have been just amazing. But then we may not have as many questions as we do now. But um, yeah, it's it's what is if they were if they started the construction of it and they were unable to remove it because they they realized it was too big great. You know, they stopped construction on it, but that doesn't answer the fact that there are tons of other structures. There's actually, um, I, I, I would say hundreds of unfinished structures in, um, uh, the, the bedrock at Aswan that are unfinished. And why would they go halfway? I mean, this obelisk in the ground, this unfinished obelisk, it's, I mean, I would say it's about 70, 65, 70% finished. I mean, it's, it's really not too far away. It's obviously still got a ton of work to do, but it's not that far. So why would they get that far into it and then just go, yeah, you know, this is, this is a little big. I don't think this is going to work. It just makes no sense. I mean, they could have stopped way, way sooner than that. But then you look at some of the other obelisks that they've erected and I mean, they're pretty good size, but they're no, they're no unfinished obelisk. And I just, I'm just confused because these Egyptologists are giving these simple explanations, you know, like the Egyptologists I've noticed have tended to almost dumb down um, our ancestors from Egypt and essentially say that they just, they just weren't smart enough to you know, they just didn't know the things we know. And I feel like that's completely false. And people like Brian Forrester actually have theorized that the reason for these scoop marks on the unfinished obelisk is because of sound technology. He theorizes that they're using sound technology on, um, or like resonance uh, on these granite blocks. And it's essentially turning the granite into sand. And he thinks that um, like when you get like a tattoo laser removed, essentially that's kind of what's happening in these scoop marks. It's kind of lasering quote unquote away these, this granite piece and turning it into sand. And this is completely on theory. There's, I mean, I'm sorry, Brian, but there's literally no evidence of that. Um, the only weird object that would possibly hint towards that I could, that I could think of 
might be like the schist disc, which me and Brian talked about um, in episode two of the podcast, which if you haven't listened to that, you should go listen to the episode two with the Brian Forrester interview, because that's still one of my favorite interviews because I bring him up so much because uh, I'm just such a big fan and he really is an inspiration to me. Um, but yeah, he, the only thing that I could think of that could have related to the sound technology is this schist disc and the schist disc. Um, I don't have a ton of the information on it cause I'm just kind of talking out of my ass right now, but the schist disc is this weird, it looks almost like a steering wheel or like a part of a, part of a machine. It literally looks like nothing else in Egypt. It is totally unique piece of art technology no one's really sure what exactly it was for or used for some egyptologists will say it was like a dinner plate of some sort and that's just total bullshit the construction of it is just so weird that it makes no sense um and i guess 3d replications of the schist disc when they put it into a um uh they basically rotated it and um like you know they rotated it like a wheel and it created this weird resonance in front of it, this sound resonance that apparently hit a really weird, um, a, a weird frequency. And that's the only thing that we've really come up with is that this weird schist disc, the only thing we know about it is that it creates these weird resonances when it's rotated, but there's nothing else really about it. And that's only been tested, I think once I can only found, find really one study of that happening. So whether sound technology was the catalyst for how they shaped this unfinished obelisk among other structures in Egypt, I don't know, because some people think that like the Sphinx and the, the pyramids, they, they lifted the, the blocks onto the pyramids with this resonant technology, so on and so forth. But I don't know, guys, it's, it's a little, it's a little woo woo for me. There's not enough evidence behind it for me to kind of say, yeah, you know, I think that it, it was sound technology. I think that it's very well possible that the ancient Egyptians knew something that we still don't. Everything from like the, the Dendera light bulb, which if you're not familiar with that, look it up. I might do an episode on it. Um, the Dendera light bulb or um, something like, you know, something like, uh, or the Baghdad battery. That's, that's really cool too. So I believe Egyptolog or Egyptians, ancient Egyptians were smarter than we give them credit for. And they did have something we don't know about. I'm not saying that they had some sort of technology that's like flying technology and they're like shooting fireballs and shit. And they had like guns and all this, but like, no, no, no. I'm just saying that they had, something it could have been something easily explainable but we just haven't developed a way to test and replicate that technology um they kind of went on a separate path than us as far as technology that's all i'm saying i'm not saying that they were some superhumans that had some super technology or something they just had something and that goes for a lot of ancient civilizations but yeah, guys, that's that's really all I have to talk about today. I just wanted to cover this unfinished obelisk that I've been following for a couple years. And my first video that I saw of it was actually Brian Forrester's video. And then I fell on to um, Jimmy from Bright Insight and Uncharted X's and, you know, stuff like that. I found all their videos and they all have the same conclusion is that this is bullshit. It doesn't work. These dolerite balls cannot do this. They just can't. 
and it's pr been proven on video and they try to pass it off. They do it. <laughs> like I watched a documentary where they're doing this dolerite pounding and they're like, yeah, see, look, it's chipping away. And it's literally nothing like guys, it's literally nothing happening. I'm going to try to find this documentary and I'm going to try to link it in the description of the podcast because it <laughs> it's they're like, see, it's working and it's not, it's not working. It's not working at all. Um, or if it is working, I mean, it is working essentially. It's just, I mean, you would be 80 years old before you got an inch down. You know, it's, it's just not possible, but that's all I'm saying guys is that this unfinished obelisk does not have a definitive answer as to the creation of it. And I'm sorry, but just don't listen to the Egyptologists. I, I mean, I know they're the experts and I know that they have spent so much time studying this, but I really think that, I mean, I don't, they're just playing Occam's razor. You know, they're saying this is the easiest explanation and there's all these dolerite balls. So it must be the dolerite balls that they were using. But I just feel like we're missing something and we're looking over something. That's all I'm saying. But that's all I have to talk about today, guys. Uh, I really appreciate you guys listening. And once again, if you're interested, please listen to my previous interviews and podcasts. I have everything from um, <clears throat> religious people to anti-religious people to ex-religious people. I talk about talk to a lot of religious people. Um, speaking of which, I just picked up Peter Bogosian's book, A Manual for Creating Atheists. And I'm really excited to break into that and start doing a little bit more about um, street epistemology. So maybe in the near future, you can look forward to me going out into public, talking to some strangers about uh, what they believe and why and what kinds of um, justifications they have for that belief and whether it's a reliable pathway to truth. Uh, so yeah, you can maybe look forward to that in the future. And once again, I have Brian Forrester, Larry Paul, Mark Carlotto, <clears throat> um, uh, uh, Debbie Solaris. You can catch all of them on here, guys. With that, or you can just listen to me, just talking to myself just like this with the, the ancient Egypt episode where I talked about the Sphinx um, or the Westall UFO incident, stuff like that. But that's going to be all I have to cover today, guys. I really appreciate you guys listening. And uh, you guys know the saying, you guys got to question everything. All right, guys, we'll see you later.